right, if you want to take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 24, um, we'll be there uh, probably a majority of the time uh, together tonight. You know, one of the things that makes dealing with prophecy difficult uh, is the fact that um, as you go to Scripture, um, it is not all, nor does it run chronologically, okay? Uh, especially when you get to the book of the Revelation. The book of the Revelation, if you start in Revelation chapter 1 and you read all the way through to the end of it, it does not run chronologically. Uh, when you look at the book of Daniel, one of the things that you get in the book of Daniel, when you get to Daniel chapter 9, is you get a vision that Daniel is given. Uh, Gabriel comes to speak with Daniel. And uh, as Daniel is able to see this this vision of the 70 weeks um, and all of that is laid out uh, then you come to a passage like Matthew 24 right and when you look at the passage in Matthew and, and I guess probably uh, one of the passages of scripture that has more interpretation surrounding it um, there's not another there's not another passage probably in scripture that has more interpretation surrounding it than Matthew chapter 24 does all right uh, in the way all of it is, all of, all of the, the way that it is stepped through. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do tonight, and one of the things that I want to do, is just kind of go back through and kind of do a summary. I, I mean, you've had a lot of information. You've had a lot of charts that I've given to you and everything. So what I want to do tonight is, before, is as we get into Matthew 24, is just to kind of give you, to keep this in front of you kind of as an overview um, so that you kind of know, because what we're talking about is we're talking about this this total period, this 70 weeks um, of uh, of all of this time period of 490 years. When did it start? When is it going to end? And all of these pieces in between. One of the things that you will find, and it's on this slide up here, is where did it all start? Um, where does that 490 years kick off? Um, the the clock itself starts ticking um, when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem that was given by Artaxerxes that was given to Nehemiah and so Nehemiah was able to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem all right one of the things that I think we lose sight of and when it comes chronologically to scripture this is where it gets a little difficult it's in those books that you have like Ezra all right, which comes before Nehemiah. You also have the book of Esther that we've already talked about. One of the things that you need to keep in mind and understand that Ezra, and under the leadership of Zerubbabel, uh, came out of Babylon, and they went back to Judah and began to rebuild the temple. Well, this temple rebuilding that took place uh, outside or uh, in Judah one of their concerns was, here's the temple sitting out here with nothing around it. There was no protection. So Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So as you're looking at this thing chronologically and you're thinking in your mind, one of the things I want you to understand is Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple began before the walls were rebuilt by Nehemiah. What kicks off the 490-year period is this one here. It's the decree that was given by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah to begin to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem and to put all of that back and so that begins the process the decree was actually issued 
in 444 B.C. That's when the decree. Now, there is some discussion as to whether or not it was 444 B.C. or 445 B.C. Okay. Um, what difference that's going to make is not anything significant. Okay. So, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes provided the decree to allow the Jews. Uh, he provided the decree. Uh, 444 B.C. was actually when the decree was announced. He provided it to Nehemiah in 445 B.C. and uh, to allow the Jews to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I give you all the passages of Scripture for that that you can go back. When you look at Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 25, you'll see the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem is what starts that 490-year period. All right, and then Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 8, is where Nehemiah actually goes back, and they begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And, of course, under strong opposition as well to all of that. No, did not. So all, this, all, I'm, all I'm doing tonight is just... All of this you should have already had, okay, uh, in your possession. If not, you can see me uh, afterwards, and I'll get some for you. Okay, 396 B.C., uh, the rebuilding was actually completed. Uh, that's when it was finished up. And so now you have the temple, and you have the walls that are rebuilt in Jerusalem, and it provided all of the finish. And that's in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. All right? Now, you come to the next period this 62 weeks, uh, when you look at the 62 weeks uh, that are added to um, the 7, that makes a total of 69, okay? So 62 weeks, 434 years, the temple rebuilding and the modification by Herod, okay? And uh, so that takes place over this next time period, okay? So this next time period, the temple rebuilding and the modification by Herod all the way up till 19 B.C., okay? Uh, when all of this as it begins to track okay and so this is just continuing through those 70 weeks up to 69 weeks the 69 weeks will be completed uh, once the temple um, and, and here and, and this is this is this is another area that is difficult for us to kind of get our hands around okay keep in mind when you think about the temple it started out as the wilderness tabernacle under Moses. Uh, all of the guidelines and everything given to Moses. The temple was actually brought um, along, or the, the tabernacle, the wilderness tabernacle, was actually brought along in all of the journeys of the children of Israel uh, as they came into the land of Canaan. It was transported. And it was transported throughout the land of Canaan. It eventually wound up in Shiloh. Uh, that's where... The temple or the wilderness tabernacle ended up was in Shiloh. Uh, had a small addition that was made to it in Shiloh. Uh, and eventually when David became king, uh, David brought the ark to Jerusalem. And his concern was there was no tent or there was no building for uh, the ark of the covenant. And so Daniel or David, excuse me, David had a tent built. And uh, so that's where the ark of the covenant was placed was inside of that tent. Now, David had a desire to build the house of God. And, of course, if you know your scripture, uh, you'll know that David was not able to do that because David's household, he was considered a house of blood or a man of war and a house of blood. And so, therefore, he was not allowed to build the temple. But he had all the plans for the temple. They were given to Solomon. 
David's son Solomon rebuilds the temple, or builds the temple, I should say, there in Jerusalem. So you have the wilderness tabernacle, then you have Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was what was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. It's rebuilt and rebuilt by Herod because when you get to the New Testament, one of the things that you have in Jerusalem is Herod's temple. And so sometimes we kind of get confused as we walk through these temple processes. And by the way, the temple that was in Jerusalem that was built and finished in 19 B.C. was destroyed in A.D. 70. And of course, Jesus himself prophesied that it would be completely destroyed, and so would the city. And so that happened in A.D. 70. Okay? Now, there is Ezekiel's temple that we talked about. It's called the Millennial Temple. And guess what? There is going to be a temple that is going to be built once again in Jerusalem. It's called Ezekiel's Temple. We went through and looked all of the dimensions of Ezekiel's Temple. It is going to be built in Jerusalem. And so that is all of the temple stages as you go through and you look at and as you go through and you look at the scripture. Okay. So the uh, the prophetic timeline, Daniel seventy uh, weeks, as we continue through. Well, you say, okay, well, brother Robert, that's there's seventy weeks or four hundred and ninety years. We've only gone through sixty nine of them. So what happens to this last week? Uh, where does the last week go? Well, what you have is we're still waiting on the last seven-year time frame that last seven-year time frame known as the 70th week of Daniel is yet to come so at the end of 69 weeks waiting on the 70th week we're in that time frame right now okay we're in that time frame right now also known as the church age and so that is the time frame referred to as the church age that's found in Daniel chapter 9 verse 26 through verse 27 on AD 33, of course, many of us know what happened in AD 33. Pentecost in the beginning of the church age. Please keep this in the back of your mind. A lot of people go to Acts chapter number 2. They read, huh, the day of Pentecost, a new time for Israel. It was not a new time for Israel. It's called the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. It had been celebrated um, by the children of Israel given to Moses under the law okay so this was nothing new for them but at the time of the feast of Pentecost or the feast of weeks there are thousands of people that show up in Jerusalem what better time to begin the church age than when Peter stands to preach under and with the filling of the Holy Spirit of God okay and so that's when all of that begins. And then the AD 70 that I talked about earlier, okay, uh, Titus led the Roman legions against Jerusalem and they destroyed both the city and the temple. So they were both destroyed at that point and as a result. Okay. I know this may be difficult for you to see, but I did do this chart and handed it out to everybody. It's kind of a timeline of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so when you look at this overall time, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all, even those who are online, I'm sure you struggle with this as well. When you're going through and you're trying to keep all this stuff in the back of your mind, okay, and you're trying to keep it and wonder where all of this stuff lines up, how many of y'all just have a difficult time sometime wondering on the timeline where all of this stuff fits? Okay, well, here you go, all right? This right here will help you kind of see it. And understanding and keeping in mind that B.C., that B.C. counts down. 
Okay, BC counts down till you hit AD, and AD starts counting back up. Okay, and so for some, so when you say, well, the decree was issued in 445 BC, uh, the temple wasn't completed until 339 BC, and it's like, okay, which direction do you go on this timeline? Okay, well, just keep in mind the Old Testament and BC counts down. Okay, and heads that and heads that direction. Right, so there it is, um, from the fall of Jerusalem all the way through to you get to the far right hand, yes, to the far right hand side, and you see Nehemiah up there, okay? And But I have a copy of this, if you want it, uh, I'll be more than happy to provide it for you, okay? Matthew 24 uh, is where we were going uh, to be, all right, Matthew 24 is one of those difficult passages of scripture okay um this is the 70th week of daniel kind of laid out for you um in um as much of a summarized perspective as we can give it to you that, that i can give it to you okay um but it is summarized for you uh, this is this is very helpful because it kind of lines everything up for you. Um, this is the 70th week of Daniel, or the seven-year. Some people hear it referred to as the seven-year tribulation period, um, with this total number of days and all of those aspects associated with it. But I want us to go to Matthew 24, where we're going to spend a majority of our time for the rest of the evening. Okay, um, I should say, excuse me for the next few moments that we will have together not for the rest of the evening okay we're not going to be here that long all right matthew 24 beginning in verse number one okay jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him now keep in mind where they are uh, they're there they're in jerusalem they see all the temple buildings that are there and, and oh by the way this this site that they're talking about is Herod's temple. Okay, that's Herod came in and Herod added to it. Okay, uh, matter of fact, all the porticos and all of those things that are associated with this particular temple uh, came about as a result of Herod. Okay, so they're sitting there, and as they're sitting there, they see this temple, and so they point out the temple buildings to him, and he said to them, he he says to the disciples. Did you not see all of these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. He said, you see all these buildings and you see all of this? He said, they're all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be torn down. Okay, remember AD 70 under Titus? That's when it happens. Okay, so he's prophesying it's going to happen before it ever happened. So verse number three, so as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, and this is, this is what they wanted to know. So, so when, when will these things happen? But then they asked for something else. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. This is a little bit more difficult here because what in the world are the disciples asking him? 
It's going to be a sign of your coming. Is who? As the reigning Messiah, who is going to take us out from underneath all of this Roman rule that's here and establish your earthly kingdom. And also, one of the other things that you need to understand is that phrase in the end of the age. When you look at that phrase, end of the age, comes from the Greek word centelia. And centelia basically means a closing out of a particular time frame. So basically what the disciples are wanting to know, when is this going to end, all of this that we find ourselves under with Rome, and the new is going to begin. So they wanted to know what that sign <clears throat> was going to be. And so verse 4, so Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand is, is going to happen here in Matthew 24. The disciples are confusing something that they're looking for to occur earthly versus what Jesus is getting ready to unfold for them of something that is coming yet future. And that's where we get into a lot of, uh, of difficulty when you look at Matthew 24. The disciples are asking one question. Jesus is pointing them another direction say well how do you know that well when you go to acts chapter number one they still were trying to connect the dots because what did they ask jesus are you now going to establish your earthly kingdom that's what's that's what's there for them okay that's what they're anticipating and so jesus says to them in in the verse number four see to it that no one does what mislead you for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But notice what he says. But that is not yet the end. And folks, let me share something with you tonight, okay? There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, okay? That doesn't necessarily mean that we're there yet. It's just what Jesus tells them. Matter of fact, were there many wars yet to come for them? Yeah, there were was, there was some difficult days ahead for them, and especially for the disciples. And then he goes on in verse number 7, and notice what he says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. That's an interesting phrase in verse, in verse number 8. Because basically what Jesus says there is, but all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. In other words, it is inevitable, it is coming. It is coming. One of the things that we need to understand today, and I think, and I hope, I hope, I hope we understand this, and, and a lot of people say, well, you know, when it comes to prophecy, you know, is it, is it, is it good to study prophecy? It, it is, it's good to study prophecy, okay? to be able to discern the times and so on that we live in okay but just to study prophecy for purely to study prophecy because it we think it's so interesting okay that that should not be our motivation behind studying prophecy what should be our motivation behind studying prophecy is to understand and realize that what all of this is pointing to is judgments coming and so for those that are lost they need to understand that the clock is ticking and we as believers need to be redeeming the time because the days that we live in are evil and they're going to get worse. And so here's what we need to be doing. Just as Noah warned all of those about the coming judgment 
of God himself. Where we are today, that's what ought to be our message. Judgment is coming. And when that judgment comes, and when that judgment falls, it's going to be too late. Just as it was in the days of Noah. And oh, by the way, Matthew 24, there's a reference to the days of Noah. And of Jonah as well. Jesus spoke about both of those. Okay, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. One of the signs that Jesus said, just as talking about his resurrection, Jesus said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be in the earth. Okay? So he used both of those. So, verse 6, 7, and 8. Okay? The beginning of sorrows is what this is referred to and known as. All right? The beginning of birth pains or the beginning of sorrows. The inevitability of it, it's going to come. Okay? But then notice verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. There will be those who will lose their life. It just is. Have, those, uh, are, have there been those already who have lost their life for the gospel? There have been. What about the disciples? The apostles, several of them lost their life because of the gospel. Matter of fact, John, as he penned the book of the Revelation, guess where John was? Exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of his stand on the gospel. Okay, Paul was imprisoned, just about stoned to death because of the gospel. Verse number 10, And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will, list, uh, will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, now it's interesting because the word for end here in verse number 13 is different than the word for end in verse number 3. So the word end in verse number 13 is the Greek word telos. And here's what it means. It means the conclusion or the completion of. It means the completion of. It's finished. It's over. Okay. This has come to a complete end. Okay. So, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then guess what? And then the end will, then the end will come. Do we still have a lot of work to do? We do. Verse 14 says this gospel will be preached to the ends of the, of the earth. Okay, to the ends, um, to the whole world. Okay. So do we still have work to do today? Yes. Are there areas the gospel has not reached yet? Yes. Okay. So, you know, the question on everybody's mind is, when will this happen? When is, when is Jesus Christ going to return? Matter of fact, I just heard this past week, okay, somebody that has already made another prediction of when Jesus Christ is going to return, okay? Let me tell you, don't, don't, okay, don't even attempt, don't even try to do it. Because I can tell you right now, none of us in this room have any idea in this church age that we're in right now 
when it's going to come to a close. None of us here do. And oh, by the way, I can tell you this. The scripture does not have a mathematical or a, or a magical, I should say, mathematical formula for you to go determine what day he's going to return. Let me put you at ease tonight. The scripture says there's only one who knows that day. Jesus himself said, my father is the only one who knows that day. So don't, don't, don't allow yourself to get confused by all of that. Are there going to be wars and rumors of wars? Yes. Are many false prophets going to come? Yes. And let me say this. One of the things I try to share with people is this. Things are going to get worse. Things are not going to get better. There's going to come a great falling away. Matter of fact, the scripture says that people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will be turned by fables. The love of many will wax cold. Okay? As we make our way to that day, to that time frame. So Jesus is, okay, let me ask you a question. Could you imagine being the disciples sitting there listening to Jesus share all of this because if you take your bible and look at all of it from verse 4 the end of verse 4 see to it that no one misleads you all the way till you get to verse 51 guess who's doing all the teaching guess who's doing all the speaking jesus is okay imagine being the disciples hearing all of this and trying to understand what is taking place when you come to verse 15 there's a marker in verse 15 so that tells me that up to verse 15 that beginning of sorrows is going to occur during the first three and a half years of of this 70th week of daniel you say well how do you know that well when you get to verse 15 guess what you have you have another one of those markers therefore when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place let the reader understand that's the midpoint up there that's the midpoint it's the abomination of desolation guess what's going to happen the antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple oh the temple is there a temple now no is there going to be yes he's going to set himself up in the temple the abomination of desolation. The oblation will cease. The evening sacrifice will be brought to an end. To a close, that's the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel. Okay? What I tell folks, if you see that and you're here, okay? I won't go any further. Verse 16. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Verse 21, and the reason for that is for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will that's the next portion after the midpoint it is the time of great tribulation 
the wrath of God will be poured out during that time frame. Unlike anything that has ever occurred before. Never been anything like it, never will be anything like it afterward. So as you go through Matthew 24, all of this begins to unfold. And you come to verse 22, unless those days had been cut short... No life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And see, here's the other thing. We don't know how long that's going to be. See, that's another one of those things we just, we don't, we don't know. We don't have any idea where that is going to fall. That particular portion of the second half of the 70th week of Daniel. We just don't know. That's a sliding piece in there. Okay. Now, I will say this. We do know the total number of days. So all of this is going to occur during this total number of days. But there are pieces in there that, are, that, are, that, that move. Okay? And that's what makes it a little bit more difficult. Okay? Verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. How many of y'all have heard of the false prophet? You got Satan, you got the false prophet. The false prophet is going to deceive many, be given power. The two witnesses that will be in the street of Jerusalem, we're going to talk more about that as we go through Matthew 24. We'll look at more of that. We'll tie that back to the book of the Revelation with the two prophets. Okay, now I know I've had a lot of people ask me, said, or the two witnesses, I'm sorry. And matter of fact, I've had several people ask me, well, who do you think the two witnesses are? Well, I think there's no doubt who they are. And matter of fact, I believe we were given who they are on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus Christ appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, he had two people that appeared with him. Moses and Elijah. Jesus was the absolute fulfillment of it all, of both the law represented by Moses and the prophets represented by Elijah. And guess what? I believe they're going to appear on the scene again. You say, well, Brother Robert, the book of the Revelation doesn't give us any names. You're correct, but there will be two witnesses. But the thing about those two witnesses were given a description of what they will do. And guess what? They had accomplished it before. And they're going to accomplish it again. Moses and Elijah both. So verse 25, Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So wherever the course is, there the vultures will gather. All right. That's a lot. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you... All right. Next Sunday night, for all those watching online and all those of you in here... Next Sunday is July the 4th. We will not have Sunday evening service that night because of it being July the 4th, okay? 
You say, well, what significance does that have that it's July the 4th? Well, a lot of people are going to be gone. We're going to give people time to spend with your family on July the 4th that evening. And so July the 11th, we will pick back up in verse 29. What I will also do is go back in verse 15 through verse 28. I'll give you another chart that you will have, okay, that will explain in detail a little bit more of those verses for you, okay? But I just wanted to kind of give you an overview of that tonight, and we'll talk more in detail about it on July the 11th. Amen? That's a lot, okay? It's a lot to take in, all right? It is a lot to take in. Yes, Miss Sandy? Centele is the Greek word in verse 3, and basically what centele means is just to, just, to, just to kind of to close. It's not completed, but we're just going to close this particular portion. Okay? There's still more to remain, but this particular portion we're going to close. The other one, telos, over in verse 13, means it is finished, it's completed. All right. Okie doke. That's a lot. Okay. Hey. Keeps you coming back. <laughs> Amen. All right. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. All right. Hope you have a wonderful week, and uh, just remember those in prayer. All right? that just uh, we'll be having procedures and recovering, all right? And that God will just keep us safe in the days ahead. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to study your word, and Father, we thank you for what it contains. And Father, may we take it what we've even talked about tonight and read through tonight, and and Father, is is exciting as it is for us. May it also burden our heart to realize that those who die without Christ, Father, the only thing that they have in their life ahead of them is the continuation of no hope. And so, Father, I pray tonight that our hearts would be encouraged and challenged and stirred, Father, as we realize how critical it is to share with those around us that judgment is coming and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Dismiss us now with your love. Bring us back at the next appointed time, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.